Hi, everybody. I'm so glad to be able to bring you this episode with my friend Jessica Kantwitz. Make sure at the end of the episode to go to the show notes and take a look at what she's offering with her writer's workshop. She's really an extraordinary writer and just such a delicate guide around difficult feelings. I think you're going to love this one. Jessica really takes us through what it means not only to be a writer, but to be a writer who is struggling with depression. So listen and enjoy. And if you like it at the end, I'd love for you to go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a good review. Thanks so much, everybody. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. I am here with my friend, Jessica Kantrowitz, who has been a real force, like a guiding soft spot on the internet for me and many, many, many people during the pandemic, but even before the pandemic. So if you follow my Instagram, you'll see me reposting and talking about work that she's doing. And by work that she's doing, I mean, writing gorgeous, gorgeous writing that she's participating in and creating for us, but also incredible things like you know, a Thanksgiving party for anyone who didn't have a home to go to during COVID. Jessica created this extraordinary opportunity for people to essentially in their mind's eye go to her home. And I think like a famous writer, you exhausted your wrist in coloring people into a Thanksgiving table, which is just so, you know, it was just it had, it had some play out there in a viral way, because I think it just spoke to everybody in terms of, you know, being inclusive and just helping us. So thank you so much for agreeing to be on Grief is My Side Hustle. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited to be talking to you. So I first came to know Jessica because she and I both work for Together Rising, which is the charitable arm of Glennon Doyle's work. It's like a very mighty team that is actually quite small. And most of us have been, you know, in Glennon's hallway in her chat room for a very long time and have known her for a very long time. And the team that is associated with her, I would say is as special as Glennon herself. I think she would say the same. So you and I have been crossing paths for quite a while. So I know a little bit about your work and your voice and your mission. Will you just tell people who are listening sort of how you come into the world and what your passions are about? Sure. Well, I'm a writer, and which is what I've always wanted to be. But I sort of had like a decade or two of derailment. (laughs) I tried to I tried to go into ministry, and I I went to seminary to an evangelical seminary for eight and a half years. Got my master's of divinity. Tried to do ministry. Tried to like really immerse myself in evangelical contexts, and then totally burned out. Yeah. And had to leave my home, leave, not not my family's home, but the, the people I was living with, had to leave my job, had to completely restart over. But that's when I was able to start writing finally. Yeah. Or, you know, I'd been writing, trying to write all along, but when I was able to actually put my words out into the world, and have a blog and then a book deal, and, you know, now a bit of a social media presence. So I'm sort of in my second or third career at this point, even though I've been trying to make it my first career since I was, you know, eight years old. When you first began that writing in earnest after the pursuit of ministry, 
you know, ended, was it about that? Was, was the writing that you were doing part of the sort of processing of that period of your life ending, or was it something else that you had been, you know, novels and things that you had been secretly fomenting since you were 12? Um, a little bit of both. I, I have not successfully written a novel yet, but I found my voice in nonfiction. Yeah. I, I really do want to write a novel, though, hopefully one of these days. But it was kind of processing. There was a lot, though, that I couldn't really process because I, I didn't do most of my writing sort of live. I yeah. had a blog and then now I, you know, post on social media. So I couldn't really process a lot because there were so many other people involved. Yeah. And I didn't want to just be like taking mm-hmm. advantage of my platform to tell my side and get everyone mad at the other people. Yeah. And also because it was still, you know, a kind of open wound. I needed to heal myself before I could tell those stories. Yeah. And then when the healing came, I realized the stories were that I wanted to tell were different than the ones I would have wanted to tell in the moment. So that's such a nice reflection. We talk a lot about writing on the podcast and we talk about people who write as a process a therapeutic process like narrative therapy to sort mm-hmm. of come to understand what you're going through. And I think, I think writers who also write for product would tell you that that, as you just described it, writing from the wound is not always the world's best writing that it's, yeah. you know, it's full of emotion and it's full of yourself, but maybe in terms of a reflection of yourself and in therapy, we talk about sort of speaking from the wound or speaking from the wounded part, as opposed to speaking for the wounded part. Let me tell oh, you yeah. versus let me tell you from it. Right. And, right. and, and it sounds like by the time you got to the part that you could have spoken for it, it wasn't the most interesting story you wanted to talk about. It wasn't the, the thing that you wanted to be writing about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So tell us about your writing. Tell us about, I mean, again, I have had the real advantage of watching and reading and consuming it during the pandemic, which I would say, I, I feel like it had its own flourishing and during that time, but I know that your, is it, was it your second book? Your first book came out right at the beginning of the pandemic. Do I have the timing right? That's right. Yeah. 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 Yep, I know. Yep. Cause I got it. And, and just tell us about it. Tell us about the intention of it and what it is. And for anyone who doesn't already know. Okay. My first book is the long night reading readings and stories to help you through depression. Yeah. And yeah, it came out right um, at the beginning of 2019 yeah. So that one was, I really wanted to write about my own experience with depression. Yeah. And I, what I wanted to give to my readers was what I, what I needed or would have needed in the moment that would have made it easier to go through, maybe not easier, but more possible. Yeah. <laughs> and that was to know that I wasn't alone. And not alone, not meaning like, I mean, I know I, in some ways I was alone and people who are going through depression are alone. Yeah. But what I mean by that is that we're not crazy, you know, <laughs> like the, th- the horrible thoughts about ourselves, about life that are in our heads feel like part of what makes us othered and what makes us ashamed and that you know what's what's wrong with us and so they sort of loop back on themselves 
And so I really wanted to be, to describe my experience so that other people could say, oh, she went through this too. She was feeling this too. You know, maybe it's okay. Maybe this is part of the human experience, not part of something horrible about me that's going to, you know, keep me from living a, a beautiful life. Yeah. It feels like sort of the, the shame busting, right. That like in a vacuum, in an echo chamber, we're left with the way that I feel sort of being who I am instead of just right. the way I feel. Right. And so I think that's maybe how Brene Brown describes it as like shame is who I am, not mm. what's happening around me. And I like that you distinguish, which is like, listen, people who are depressed are alone, you know, they're alone in their depression. And I say that a lot about grievers, which is like, it drives me crazy when people say like, oh, you're not alone in your grief because it can minimize the idea that, you know, I have five brothers and sisters, my mom died, each one of us lost her alone. We may have shared experiences, but I think what you're describing is the more existential element of you are not alone in the world, that people understand what it means to have those emotions, your experiences Mm -hmm. more as yourself. But, but we know what that's like. And one of the things I love about your book is that it has, and, and actually I would say your whole platform and your further writings have this like nighttime component to it, because I think, I think that's where people struggle, right. Is in the, you know, those witching hours of awake and other people are not awake and they're. So was that intentional for you to, to, was that a part of your personal story or was that just, you know, the way the, the beautiful metaphor that you came up for? It, it was actually for the major depressive episode, which was the worst of my life, which was the one I talk about in that book. Yeah. Insomnia was one of the first symptoms before I even realized that I, you know, had depression before I even had negative mood or anything like that. It was just, why the heck can't I sleep? Like, I'm still tired. I'm normally a pretty good sleeper. And I would just wake up at three in the morning and that would be it. And the the less sleep you get, the harder it is to cope with difficult things. Yeah. And then it just sort of snowballs into itself. So yeah. That, that sort of, there was this really great article in the New York times this week that I posted on my Instagram that basically, you know, is like it, you know, people talk about mental health and I have a small tirade that I go on about that because I know it was intended well, when we talk about, when we separate mental health from health, but there is no such thing as separating mental health from health. And so things like, you know, things like not sleeping can trigger people who have bipolar disorder into a manic episode and like poor mood can drive us to not sleep, which then can, you know, cyclically make it impossible for us to sleep because our mood has, it's all interconnected. And so it's like for you, the nighttime really was the like indicator that things were going south. Now I know this because I've read the book and what I want to say to people who, who don't know is that even just the size and the shape of your book is really inviting that it, you know, I think one of the things that happens for people when they're struggling with their mood is it's hard, it can be hard to read. And you have set up this book so that it's almost like a daily devotional. Like it's, mm. you know, you can read small bits and feel seen and known sort of in that C.S. Lewis, like we read to know that we're understood kind right. of way. And you're mm. using your own story 
I mean, you are telling us your own story as you go through it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really important to me to, cause I know that when, when depression is bad, when stress is bad, even outside of depression, it's just really hard to read, but I, I wanted to make a way for people to connect anyway. So yeah. I think that there were a couple chapters that went longer than I wanted them to, just cause I had to fit a whole story in, but for yeah. the most part, I wanted people to feel like, okay, I finished a chapter. I've, I've accomplished something and I don't have to do anything else today. Yeah. And actually for the, for my third book, which is a follow-up to the first book, Yep. it's mostly poetry with a few short meditations. So it's even shorter because now I feel like people have the stress of whatever they had before, plus the stress of a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. So I want to say, you know, here just read these 10 lines right <laughs> and then you're done right if that's all you can do that's great what's your hope when people are coming in you've said it a little bit but like with even with your third book the one that is primarily poetry which just mm-hmm. came out right that's a that's it will be out in april april okay yep i feel like i may have pre-ordered it so i feel like i thank you <laughs> that's what happened <laughs> um but, but what is your hope with that? Like your hope is that people won't have to read too much, but what, you know, the mechanism of poetry is in some, not all writers can, can dovetail in between those two formats. What's the hope in terms of what the poems are going to be offering? Yeah, well, the, the third book actually came out of my second book which was, I think I have to talk about that before yes, I can explain you do. how the third, you do. the third book came to be. So the second book I actually wrote into Twitter every night, almost every night for a year. And it was a collection of sort of non-faith-based blessings. Yep. So I would start every tweet with the word peace. And then I would have 280 characters to say, to name something that, and it was usually something that I was experiencing to say, this, this is something that humans experience that I am experiencing that maybe you're experiencing and to speak peace over it. So it was, it was very much focused on not trying to cheer anyone up, but just trying to make people feel seen and again, you know, normalize their struggles or their feelings. This is a totally unfair question because I didn't prepare you for this, but do you have a copy of your book nearby? Is there, uh, yes. could you read us up? Could you read us one of your, um, one of your blessings? Sure. Oh, which one should I read? This is, this is one of my favorites. This is the one I started writing them sporadically in October of 2019. Okay. And so the, the book November 1st. It's a little bit unusual for a, you know, a daily devotional like that. But this one is November 30th. Peace to your knotted muscles, hunched shoulders, aching back, sore feet. Peace to the place between your eyebrows that cramps from frowning. Peace to the injury that will not heal because you can't afford to rest. Peace to your heart that beats too hard and too sad sometimes. Peace. Uh, I have this really weird phenomenon that I can't read my own writing without oh, yeah. crying. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It makes yeah, you it's, yeah. it's 
it makes me feel kind of, I don't know, vain or something, but it's because I put so much of myself into it. And I tried so hard to write the words that I needed to hear. So then when I read them to myself, I'm like, thank you. I needed to hear that. Uh, well, it's interesting because I often open your book like I do my deck of of intuitive cards. Mm, yeah. Because while I followed along on Twitter at the time, I and I think I'm like barely on Twitter. It's like you that I follow and like Roxanne Gay. It's like that's it. But primarily, primarily because the, it it was you know it did feel like these little graces every day and you know, I think when we're thinking about how do we take care of ourselves and like in the non-Oprah way, what is self-care for real? Taking Mm. a pause and, and spending a second, we could do it with every one of your blessings, but that one in particular, like the fact that you focus on the spot in between the eyebrows feels really like therapy to me. Like people, when they Mm. come in to talk to me in therapy, you know, they're, they're often racing over things because of the content is, you know, they want to get the content out, but I want, I want to pause in the space in between the eyebrows because I can feel the energy there. Right. And so so when I bring us back to that space in between the eyebrows and we take just a breath, there's so much feeling there Mm -hmm. and right. And, and, and I think that is something that's been true about the pandemic, which is we're trying to survive it. And so we're trying not to feel too much of it. But, you right. can't, but, but sitting and intentionally feeling it is the work, it's grief work, it's mental health work, it's allowing ourselves to titrate in a safe way, mm-hmm. expectation that we're going to feel this, we're going to feel right. it, it's not going to not be felt, it must, it must be felt. And there's something about Twitter as a format, which c- contains it into a, into mm. a bite-sized piece. But it allows it to sort of slow down. It's not a big, you know, it's not a big dissertation. It's just a slow, it's a slow moment. And I just, I I mean, I'm not sure that it was something that you sat down and intentionally thought this will be marketable, but it, but it really fits into the pocket of where maybe there wasn't enough during the pandemic for people to have and to hold. And I just, Mm. I, I think the format for it was really palatable and beautiful. And I love what you described, which is, you know, it makes you emotional. And I feel like, I feel like when we're channeling energy that's ours, but connected to the rest of the river, Mm. we can always dip back in and feel the emotion of it. Right. Yeah. Right. That there, there are some things that I have written that I have no memory writing, but when I go back to them, I feel like they're, they're bigger than whatever it was that I don't even remember trying to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That totally makes sense. And I think for me, I spent a lot of, I don't know if you talk about the Enneagram on your podcast, but I'm an Enneagram four. Yes. So I spent a lot of my teens and twenties feeling sort of isolated and excluded and like, nobody understands me and I want to be part of the group, but I don't know how to fit in. And so it was sort of a revelation to me in my late thirties and early forties to realize I am part, like I said before, I'm human, just like everyone else, which means everything I'm experiencing, other people are experiencing too. So maybe I can actually create a space for community instead of always like 
butting my head against other people's communities and feeling like I can't quite get in, which is, you know, there's a truth to that. And also there's this sort of, you know, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy to it as well. Well, I, I mean, I love, I, I have never talked about the Enneagrams on here before, but I'm writing that down because that's something that we oh. should talk about because I think all of the ways that we can sort of collect our ideas about our personalities are really helpful. And what it mm. means is I have some agency around talking about how I feel and think and do, and right. it will, it sort of like, it empowers me to talk about those things because obviously there's a whole bunch of other people like me because I've met other fours and there's the four as a number exists. And I appreciate it because people will say to me, I think I know your number or, so it's a great idea. What, what you're also reminding me when you're talking about what it's like to feel isolated and on the outside and that it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy is that when our child years, that feels like it's something that defines us and is telling that's who we are. Our feelings are telling us this is who we are. And in our adult years, those are the pieces, those are the invitations where we can work to stretch. And when I do grief and loss work, I always ask people a question, do you feel your feelings by yourself or with others? Because in my experience, people either like go into the shower to cry or go on a long drive or want to stand in the garage or don't. And they, and they go to the deep well of themselves. And so sometimes when they're telling you that, they're letting you know that that well has been filling up since they were a kid. And other times people will say, no, I, I, you know, I only cry when I'm on the phone with my mom or I only, you know, I watch a TV show and they play the national anthem or there's a small little puppy and it gets me really emotional. And then I call my sister and then, and so it's more in connection and it's not like one is better than the other, but if somebody tells you that they're really good on their own, the invitation is to figure out how to do it in connection. And if somebody right. tells you that they are, can only do it in connection, the invitation is to wonder what would happen, what does happen when they have feelings and they're on their own, right? Yeah, and, oh, that's interesting. And so what's so amazing about what you're describing is that depression itself, it can be really isolating. And you used kind of the, I don't know, the spirit inside it to have a connection to yourself differently, which is, I don't have to feel isolated Mm -hmm. and then becomes this gift to all these other people who maybe, maybe don't normally feel isolated. Maybe only the pandemic made them feel locked up. Yeah. But they get to be a part of your community. You have a really gorgeous tagline that you use. And I know you're selling some t-shirts and things right now. Will you just tell, will you tell folks about that? Cause I think it is the most like grace filled, empathetic thing to hear when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tagline is you are not alone and this will not last forever. Yeah. The funny thing is that I didn't exactly write that. Yeah. It was sort of, I wrote almost that in my book proposal, which I sent to, you know, my publisher broadly books and they, when they were getting the cover art done. They didn't have my actual book yet. I was still writing it. So they sent the proposal to the artist who is Olga Gerlich. Yes. And she sort of zoomed in on that idea and slightly rephrased what I had said. And she put it on, I have it here. Oh, only you can see this, but it's in the, in the, in a moon on the cover of my first book. So when I saw that, I was just 
crying actually at the Brookline Public Library <laughs> when I got the email from my editor because it was just so beautiful. There's there's a intuitive that I love and she talks about co-creation that mm-hmm. nobody ever had one idea, you know, nothing is original, that we're all sort of co-creating it together. And, and it's also how I think about editing. It's how I think about therapy, which is people come and they spread all their words and their ideas and their thoughts and their feelings out in a mess. And someone who mm. is not, someone who is not in that mess comes and says, I think this word, I think this word, I think this word. And then we put them together and then we look back at it and say, yes, that sentence, that is what I mean. Yes. That accurately portrays me. So I love the idea that the cover artist maybe helped create that as a tagline for you because yeah. It's what it's, it's your correct sentiment. It's, it's what you've been saying. I just love that. Yeah. And that helps me to sort of focus more on what I wanted my message to be. Yeah. So and that, it, um, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. There you go. That, so that was on the cover of my first book. And I, I, when I wrote it, I wrote almost it. <laughs> I was talking about, and to people who are struggling with depression But then when the pandemic started, I started tweeting it sort of without context. Almost every day I would just post a tweet, you are not alone and this will not last forever. And so people sort of made of it what they needed to make of it or wanted to make of it, which sort of became, you know, bounced back and became what I meant by it. (laughs) it. It's it's interesting. uh, It's some people don't respond well. I mean, most people do. Most people seem to appreciate it, but some people get angry at me or mm. will sort of push back and say, this is not helpful. Please stop posting it. And yeah. I can understand, you know, as someone who has received a lot of well-meant platitudes, yeah. I can understand how it could come across as like, cheer up, everything's going to be fine. You know, yeah. look on the right side kind of thing and so every every now and then I'll sort of do a little thread explaining what I mean by it I'm not over here as a as the hope parade and and champion of only good things that really this comes your own process and your what it what is making me think about is you know there's there's this work and Mark Brackett at the Center uh, for Emotional Studies at Yale wrote this great book and which name is escaping me right now. It's just terrible, but I'm tired. The book- Okay, you're allowed. Yeah, thank you. I'll put it in the show notes, you guys. I'm sorry. The, The book is basically about helping people to be educated on what it means to have emotions versus feelings. And I mean, it's, I know it's pretty revelatory. So watch this, right? So emotions are the body sensations that happen from the intuitive part of your brain. They are physical manifestations of reactivity. So the same way fight flight are, but they're just not that activated. So they're little, I think of them as matchbox cars fear, anger, joy that just drive up and down the system of your body. And they don't mean anything that we have like 70,000 emotions a day where we, where they become meaningful is when we attach meaning to them with our thinking. And so if you think of a baby, a baby is just emotions, they cry, but they're not like, I'm bad because I cry. They just cry. 
So they have their emotional state, but they don't have any mental processing about it. So emotions are just these little things that are running through our system. And, you know, you could think of them as like flies that are buzzing around and they're neutral. They don't like, it's Mm. not, there's not a bad emotion or a good emotion. There's not a tough emotion or a bad, you know, they're just, they're just there and every human has them. And then what we do with them, if we have lots of anger on, you know, lots of anger trucks on one day, it will get our attention. And then we create some cognition about it. So our Mm -hmm. feelings are often also not something that are conscious. I have a lot of tension in my body. I don't necessarily know why, but I can feel the tension. And so then I go and interpret the tension. I'm mad at my husband because he didn't make me a cup of coffee. But that isn't necessarily the truth. Right. The tension that's in my body came from something that happened last night and never got offset for us. And so what I love about what you say, because it is the truest of all the true things is it will not always feel this way. Right. It will not always feel this way because your thoughts won't hook in the way that they're hooking to the sensations and the sensations. I mean, if you go to bed, if you go to bed and have a restful night's sleep, I guarantee you will not feel the same in the morning. Right. Because the feelings are based on the sensations inside your body. Oh, that's so fascinating. Isn't it fascinating? And I feel like, you know, his book came out recently, but I feel like when I do, when I lecture to companies, big, big, you know, people who have very, very strong intellectual brains, this is the one where they're like, wait a minute, say that again. Yeah. Because when people are doing all that overthinking, if they don't stop to wonder how long will this last? Right. Right. You get stuck in it. You feel stuck in it and you can make yourself stuck in it. Feelings and emotions can mm-hmm. talk to each other and create each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I spend too much time thinking about why my daughter was tense with me this morning, I can absolutely keep tension in my body for the whole rest of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I can do that. So you're using your thoughts to create feelings out of your emotions. Yes. So yeah. you can use your thoughts to, to create different feelings. That's exactly. You can, you can learn how to do that. Yeah. And there are some therapies where we just unhook our thoughts from our feelings. Mm. You know, we don't even try to create anything. We just unhook them and we just go into the feeling, you know, mm. go into your body. And that's what a lot of meditation is about doing body scans and just noticing where there's tension. Well, tension doesn't say notice where you feel bad. It's just like neutral words And I feel like there are a lot of people that try to speak to that in a way that's hopeful. And I don't think anybody does anything as well as your tagline, which is, oh my goodness. Yeah. That, because it's the truest thing that there is, it's not Mm. offering anyone other than a lack of permanence. That's it. Right. Yeah. When I sort of do my explanation threads, I try to say, you know, I'm not saying everything will be fine eventually. No. But, you know, there's going to be great things, but there's also going to be more hard things. That's what life is like. Yeah. But there, it's going to be different. It won't always be exactly as it is now. Yeah. And I'm really careful in the conversations that I have about grief and grief work in general, not to say to people like it gets better because mm. the reality is there are people for whom 
whatever loss they're they've experienced is really the end of the life that they loved the most. Mm. Yeah. What I, what I try to say to folks is you don't have to only have loss, right? Right. That's all I can offer is I can't tell you that this isn't going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you. Talk to a mother who lost a child. It is, it's the worst thing that ever happened to her and it will be for the rest of her life. In trauma, what we say is like the meaning is made only by that event and, and sort of time stops there. And our hope is that you don't only have awful things for the rest of your life. Right. And that really is, it's an invitation to someone to say, that is my hope for you. Right. But I am really aware because I work with people who've been through trauma that they can lose decades to alcoholism and drug addiction and isolation and sickness and illness. And in fact, lose their lives on account Mm. of what happens. But I feel like, you know, your presence on the internet is for me, a really gentle, friendly voice that, that comes with the backstory of, I know what I'm talking about. I don't know your story, but I know my story. And so I know emotions and feelings. And it's to say, I'm offering you a hand in the dark to let you know that I get how you're feeling and it's not always going to feel this way. Yeah. Oh, it's just so great. What are you working on now? Tell us about the project that you've got going that is a further invitation to be of service to people who need processing and work in the writing world. Tell us about that because I'm really yeah. this for you. Thanks. Well, I told you that I've always wanted to be a writer and it took yeah. me a really long time to figure out how to do that and to get started. And so I've, since I became a published writer, I've been thinking about, well, how can I sort of share that with others? And, you know, I thought before there was a pandemic that the next step after you publish a book is you sort of go on tour or, you know, you speak at conferences. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to develop a writing workshop, but I want to specifically focus on people who struggle with depression like me or, or with other mental illness. So I was originally going to do it as a offering at writing workshops, but since the pandemic happened, I've been thinking about how I could possibly do that online. Yeah. And I've been thinking about it for a long time, but sort of been overwhelmed by how much I would have to learn (laughs) in order to, you know, I get this. I'd have to learn how to do the graphics. I'd have to learn how to set up the zoom and everything. And I thought, well, I can do it, but then I connected with a production company called Quantum Spin Studios Ah. in California, and so they actually know how to do all of that stuff. (laughs) They don't have to spend weeks learning how to do it, and so we connected, and we've put together this six-week writing workshop uh, called Finding Your Voice, and it's specifically targeted for people who struggle with depression or other mental illness. It's not therapy. It's not, you know, like your workshops are focused on, I believe, my understanding is helping people process grief and yeah, emotions. therapy either. It's therapeutic in nature. Therapeutic, but it's right. More about the process and less about the product. And it sounds like the people okay. who are, who are going to be attracted to yours are people who would like to similarly to you say, I am a writer. Right. Yes. People who have that dream. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard enough 
to follow that dream. But if you're also struggling with any kind of chronic illness, but maybe particularly depression, it can be even harder. And I also believe that the voices of those who are struggling with mental illness are really important and necessary in a lot of different ways. And so I really want to encourage people and empower them and then give them practical there's going to be six it's six weeks so there'll be six short writing assignments and then you'll get feedback which will be you know guided feedback so it will be encouraging (laughs) it won't be like you know my freshman year um poetry (laughs) workshop where people (laughs) just were like I don't realize like this yes Uh. so it'll be guided to hopefully help us bring out the best in each other and not discourage each other yeah, and registration is open now. It's at workshops.jessicacantrowitz.com. Awesome. And it begins at the end of October. That's great. So we will put that in the show notes and people should reach out. And I, I mean, I have to tell you, I, I find myself often talking to people who have created the environment that they would have wanted to have for themselves you know, back mm-hmm. when they were struggling. And I'm just thinking what it would be like to, to know that you have the dream of putting your writing out into the world and feel stymied in some way by, you know, whatever depression is doing, whether it's limiting your energy or your mood or whatever it's doing, feel like, well, you know, I can't take those writers workshop where it's like 12 weeks to publishing because I can see that that looks like a sprint and that's not where I'm at. So the notion the validating experience of knowing that your workshop exists specifically for mm. people who have that dream, but maybe also need, you know, it's an and, right? Like I have this and I have that. I have this dream and I'm struggling right. in this way. And maybe I won't be struggling forever, but I don't, maybe I don't want to have just anybody with any kind of attitude looking at my writing or sharing, right. you know, in my writer's workshop, what I say to folks is you do not have to share your writing. You'll get more mm. of it if you do, but also you can share it privately with each other. I don't care if you break off into a splinter group and ha- but when, I, when people are already vulnerable with grief and loss, mm-hmm. like, okay, and now you're up next. Let's really take a look at your writing is a lot to ask. Yeah. And so knowing that this group that's going to be working with you, the already clear set expectation is we've chosen this group because we know that depression exists in our lives or, or however we want to describe the energy. And we are in full pursuit of the idea of being writers and bringing our voices forward. I just don't know that I have ever seen that anywhere. And I can't think of anybody better to guide it than you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that the the, the company is going to help facilitate. Is it is it live like Thursdays at 8.30 or do you do it at your own pace? How does it happen? We're still ironing out all the details, but it's going to be mostly at your own pace. That's and so I think there, there will probably be a couple of live elements, but those will also be posted afterwards in case you can't make it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I want it to be as accessible as possible to people. Yeah. who are currently struggling, which I know it can be hard to show up for anything, much less a Zoom conversation. That's right. Because just, you know, one of the things that I talk about in grief a lot is when people are feeling better, they tend to overcommit. 
And so what mm. I think is, you know, grief is nonlinear as is depression. You do not need to disappoint yourself out of momentary enthusiasm. So right. you know, don't sign up for something that means that you have to be somewhere every Thursday at 4.30 when you haven't been mm. able to do that for six months Instead, uh, take it at your own pace because it's really devastating to people when I did feel a little bit better and now I've let everybody down because I said I would be there and I'm not going to. That doesn't need to happen. Instead, the kind of let me set my life up so that I can opt in, but it won't Mm -hmm. harm me if I opt out is so lovely. Yep. Well, and I think that's that's a huge element of anyone who struggles with chronic illness has had to go through those cycles of, you know, maybe you feel a little bit better and you think, oh, I can live somewhat of a normal life now. (laughs) And then the illness comes back and it's, yeah, just so discouraging. Yeah. That's, that is, that is something that I say to folks when, you know, there's, there's two different sides of it, right? It's finding the right people who can take you as you are in the moments so that they're not going to brutalize you by saying, why can't you just get out of bed? Or why are you still crying about your dog dying? To make sure that the community that you have with you are people who can see you in this space, but then also to be prepared to do a little bit of education Mm. and that education as a gift. Like, I'm just trying to let you see me because I know your intention towards me is good. And so to be able to say, I just need you to be able to take me in as unreliable. That Mm. is not the same as saying, I don't care. Cause I think in the world, if we don't know what's going on with someone, if you don't show up to something, it seems like you don't give a shit or 25 minutes late, it feels like, well, you don't respect my time. But if you're able to say to the community at large, this is, this is what my life is like. This is what it's like for me as well. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with whether or not I want to be there. It has everything to do with my capacity to be there. And I don't always measure it right because it's kind of new to me. I'm learning myself in this moment as well. I mean, I just think the the idea of the workshop is really incredible. And I think the I think the folks that you are going to get to work, I mean, just the the format is incredible. I can't wait to see what I can't wait to hear what you say about what the work feels like because you know, it used to be way back in Elizabethan England that people who were artists were always assumed to be depressed that the, to, the, to, <laughs> to be generating, right? Like all the, all the great poets and Byron and all those folks, like it, they were treating themselves with all sorts of laudanum and things because of melancholy and all of that. But the expectation was that was going to create great work. And in fact, mm-hmm. by some people's estimate really did. So I love yeah. the idea that you've made room for it in a way that's going to be supported and that you're going to guide people because you've been doing this a while and, you know, you have three, three published books. So you know what the hell you're talking about. Thanks. Yeah. Well, one thing that I'm going to talk about with the workshop participants is that I think our illness gives, makes us uniquely good at telling the truth. And I think that's, I think that's what writing is. It's telling the truth in whatever way that you, you know, whatever genre, whether it's, fiction or poetry or nonfiction. And I think if you haven't struggled with chronic illness, with mental illness, it can be easy to not tell the truth or not tell the full truth, but we don't have that option. <laughs> you know, we've had to, we've had to learn to tell the truth and in, in order to survive. And so in that way, I think, you know, it's not just the 
oh, depression makes us deep thinkers and profound and everything. But it's really that we've had that struggle with yeah. trying to survive and we and we're not gonna hem and haw anymore. We just want to tell the truth about life, about art, about God, about everything. You know, I, what this is making me think of is that when, when we do couples work, when I do couples work in my office, a lot of what we do is just sort of correct the language, right? Like, I'm so angry that you were late. We asked the partner to say, instead, I felt X when you were late, right? Mm-hmm. Because that is the only true thing there is. And it's the thing right. that no, it's the thing that no one can take away from you. I mean, you can choose to lie about your feelings. You can say, no, 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 it didn't bother me at all. But then you'll end up in couples therapy. What we want to be able to do because it's the, it is the only way really to be seen and known is to be able to be honest with who we are and to yeah. not have shame about our feelings. Like, you know, I, it's not your fault. I was so upset when you were late. My mom used to forget to pick me up from ballet. Like we can go all the way deep into that. But the one thing that no one can really argue you away from you, I think you're an asshole because you were late. I'm not an asshole. I bought you flowers the other day. We, we'll be in the weeds for days. Right. I was hurt that you were late. I felt unimportant. I was sad. I felt isolated. I felt alone. People can't talk you out of that. It is the truth of the truth of the truth. So I love the idea that saying to, to people who are struggling with mental health issues, who are depressed, that's your superpower. That's what's going mm-hmm. to reconnect you back into the world. And I do think, I mean, I happen to know that you're surrounded by a lot of truth tellers, but I do think once you start running with that crowd, it's hard to want to do anything else. It's hard to want to yeah. be anywhere else than people who can see the truth of you, love the truth of you, tell you the truth of themselves. I don't know. I mean, I feel like in my own world, the bullshit sort of the bullshit fence broke a little while ago. Right. Yeah. And the truth is kind of all that I'm interested in, which is not to say that I need to know that it, ha- you know, a happened and then B happened and then C happened. I don't really care about the content, but I really mm. do care. I really do care about what the meaning and the feeling was for you. And right. I, can't, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what, what this workshop creates. I think it's going to be. Me too. Incredible. Yeah. I'm really excited. You know, like you were just saying that the community, it's my writing community that has been so important to me. And so that's also what I'm hoping to create for the participants. It's, you know, not just sharing my wisdom or whatever, but to connect them with each other. And hopefully that those will be relationships and community that will continue on. In you are such it. a joy. Your Twitter is such a joy. Your, it, it, all of your social media stuff is really just, you know, so, 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 so lovely. I am unbelievably grateful to know you and to follow it and to be a part of it. And I, you know, my expectation is that I'm just going to keep seeing the, you know, the invitation that you give to people, which is come and sit close and, you know, kind of, we'll get through this together. I, my hope is the pandemic uh, for all of its terribleness, it, that maybe we might grow a little bit more of that in our world. That's my hope. Mm. And I just feel like you're leading us there. Oh, thank you so much, Megan. I appreciate you so much too. You're the best. That really means a lot to me. I'm going to put everything in the show notes so that people can connect. I really would urge people, you know, that we have a couple of weeks to get to, actually by the time this comes out, it'll probably be about a week 
And I know your spaces are filling up so they can sign up. And then maybe if that, you know, if you're full, they can let you know and they can sign up for the next one. But I know you and I will stay connected because we always are, but Thank you so much for giving me your hour today. I'm really, really grateful. Oh, you're very welcome. It's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So good to see you. Thank you so much for your time, Jessica. You too. Bye, Megan. Take care. Bye-bye.